The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hello. Oh, this is Paul. This is Paul. This is Arthur. The Arthur Hamilton. The, the only one that I know. <laughs> well, it's good to hear your voice. Well, thank you. It's good to hear yours. What can I do for you? Well, uh, this uh, this is going to be taped, of course, not live. All right. Well, just, uh, you want to get into the Q&A? Sure. <laughs> All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the man we're speaking with is songwriter Arthur Hamilton. It is a great pleasure to welcome him here. Thank you so much for making the time to do this. My pleasure to be here. Well, tell me, today is a day in May. What was the first thing you did this morning? <laughs> oh, boy. The first thing I did, well, I, I guess I brushed my teeth. <laughs> Are you a creature of habit? Very much. Yeah? Do you continue yeah. to write songs? Absolutely. Do you write songs every day? Well, I'm working on something every day, but I don't actually write and finish a song every day. Mm-hmm. But I'm always working on on one or another, more more than more than one at the same time. Take us back a little bit. I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about your family. Hmm. I was very fortunate in having uh, musical parents. My mother was a singer with the Schuberts on the stage in New York, and uh, my father was a song player working for Irving Berlin for 21 years in New York. He came out here and headed the office on the West Coast and uh, made a pretty good name for himself as a songwriter of, for films and wrote a, a big song and, uh, I mean, a big score for a film uh, called Follies Berger starring um, Murray Chevalier and Royal Oberon and Anne Southern. And, but that was in 1936. And uh, he wrote a lot of other things. But there was, there was always, at least, I think I had two or three pianos in the house at all times, and there was no other place for me to go except for the piano. And I went there. And it was a marvelous education to be the son of uh, two people who, who spoke music. They just spoke and lived music. My mother played piano as well. My father was a wonderful keyboard player, much better than I am, and or ever was. And, uh, so there was music everywhere. What else do you do? Song plugger for Irving Berlin. Did you ever meet Irving Berlin? I never did. No. I never did. I was in New York, but not at the right time to meet him. Uh, I had great regard for him. I know a lot about him and uh, from my father and from other people. And uh, he was a marvelous, energetic, focused writer. He wrote a lot more than I ever wrote. I mean, the point is, he he wrote, he probably wrote a song a day, and just wrote it, put it aside, wrote another one, put it aside, and it was just it was kind of a machine. It was just terrific and and brilliant. So we all learned from him. I think one of the things, just speaking generally, is that all songwriters learn from each other. And I studied. Uh, by studying, uh, I mean, I looked at the music copies and listened to the songs of uh, 
Richard Rogers and uh, uh, Jerome Kern and uh, George Gershwin. And those people really were my mentors. And some years later, I was lucky enough to sit at the table uh, of the board of ASCAP and sit next to Harold Arlen and sit next to Richard Rogers and uh, others of great fame. And it was a wonderful education because I had known their work and uh, it had it had gone into my head and heart and you use those things. It's, we we learn from the music around us just as as people do today. The names you listed there, a lot of the songwriters of what we call now the Great American Songbook. Absolutely. What do you think it is that led to the songs that these people wrote, Jerome Kern, Rodgers and Hammerstein, Irving Berlin, Harold Arlen, all these people? Why do you think the quality was so out of sight? Well, again, I think they all learned from each other, but in different ways. Irving Berlin's history was from the streets uh, in, in in New York City, and he spoke the language of the street when he started. And he was you know, not a, a brilliantly educated person. He didn't spend a lot of time in college or anything like that. Rogers and Hart met in college. Uh, Jerome Kern was a college student. Uh, many of the others were well-educated in, in a formal sense. But they all had that that drive in common to uh, to to do better than they've done before, and they all went to each other's shows, theater shows, and uh, they would say, "Oh, I could do better than that. I could do that better. I can I can write something better." And uh, it spurred them on, and I think it happens with every generation. The people today are are emulating that kind of music that they hear around them. And you don't hear as much of the standard songs that we, of the Great American Songbook. You don't hear as many of those today. And that, that's sad to me, but, uh, but that's the way it is. You know, it's, it's, it's a change in style and shape and, uh, and, and, and intention of the songs. Is there a songwriter that you could say has had the greatest influence on you? Well, all of the above, but uh, certainly I want to include Johnny Mercer. Uh, I knew him well, and he was a sweetheart of a man, and brilliant, 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 and a great technician, equal to the others we're talking about, uh, the Gershwins and Cole Porter. But yeah, we, we should spend an hour talking about Cole Porter. I mean, his brilliance of melody and lyric is astounding. And... Uh, you know, way way ahead of his time when he was there, and still way ahead of his time today. But uh, you know, there's no there's no place to go and learn how to write songs. I was involved in, in teaching at UCLA for some time, and and uh, I used to tell the students, uh, you, you know, you're not here to learn how to write songs. Your heart will tell you that. You know, you've got a keyboard, you got a a guitar, or whatever you want to do, but it's what it's what you hear roaring around inside you, and what you feel you can write down, and that what you write down 
if it makes sense to you, maybe it'll make sense to somebody else. So you write very much from the heart. Uh, yeah, there and 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 from from. Gee, I, I, it's not all heart. I mean, a lot of it is is what is what you uh, what you have stored up in your memory. I you know I I, I know so many songs and uh, lyrics of music of other people, and that has been my library of going through and comparing and back and forth. I never have copied anything uh, anybody else did, but but. Uh, at least knowingly, but uh, it's all been been there. One of the great influences of my life is uh, the, the singer Bobby Short. Bobby Short uh, was a uh, an African American and a dear friend of mine from the time I was 19 years old, and uh, he used to play piano in, in uh, Beverly Hills, and I used to go hear him. And uh, order uh, a Coke as they uh, a Coca Cola because they wouldn't serve me any any liquor in their place. But I was I would sit there and listen to him. He was a walking library of the great songs. And I've told people many times I never went to college. I went to Bobby Short. <laughs> he was incredible. And uh, he passed away not too long ago. But we were, we were dear friends up until that time. Is it true that Bobby Short would play one of your songs whenever you walked into the Carlisle? Well, that's interesting. Uh, uh, that's true that he did. I remember I had, I had given him some some songs when when I was so very young, and and uh, I didn't think that he had remembered any of them. But uh, when I would walk in, invariably he would play one or another of those. Songs that I written earlier, where sometimes the the verses of the songs were longer than the chorus, and I've since that time cut down the length of those verses, and and uh, in most cases cut out the verse entirely. How did you learn you could write songs? Well, uh, you know, my father was writing all the time, and uh, uh, so I heard him pounding the piano, and and, and heard him play playing songs in the living room. With his collaborators, he, he only wrote music. He didn't write lyrics. But my mother wrote lyrics a little bit, and uh, was very good at it. But I would hear all that that music, and when I was, I guess I had I studied piano, and uh, I had. I remember when I was fourteen, I told my mother I didn't want to study the piano anymore. She said, "What do you want to do?" I said, "I, I just I want to I don't want to play Chopin. I want to play me." Hmm. So I. Started. This, I've spent as much time at the piano as I did before studying other people's music, but I just played uh, stuff. I taught myself how to play what what is like a cocktail piano. I'm not a great keyboard player, but I learned how to play a little bit and uh, in different keys, and and uh, it helped me express myself. And I would find uh, lyrical ideas and uh, began doing that from the time I was 15, 16, 17. And uh, and on and more and more. I wasn't making any money. I had a whole bunch of uh, of songs, and and uh, my father was helping me make lead sheets of the songs, and and I would I learned how to make lead sheets from him. And uh, 
the last job I held was working as a delivery boy for Hortman Converse uh, drugstore. And uh, I used to write songs on the back of prescription blanks while I was delivering those drugs. Hmm. And, you know, if, but, but the, the interesting thing here uh, I'd like to stress is that I never considered myself a delivery boy. I was, I was writing songs. I didn't, I didn't, I just had to write songs. So I was, I was, I was, um, never gave in to, well, I got to get this kind of job and that kind of job. I never had too many jobs. I taught driving for a while, but the, the, the drugstore thing was about for almost two years. So you considered yourself a songwriter before that. Oh, yeah. It was so much a part of you. Yes, absolutely. It was, I, I, I would have never done anything worthwhile, I don't think, uh, in, a, in the business world, because uh, I didn't care about it. You know, we do we do what, what it is we, we feel inclined to do. And uh, the joy of, of uh, ideas, both musical and lyrical, uh, never lost a fascination for me and continue to this day. We're talking with songwriter Arthur Hamilton, what was the first song you wrote that was recorded by someone? Gee, I think it was a song uh, Herb Jeffries recorded. I can't remember the title offhand. Uh, I'm trying to hum it, but I can't remember it. But it, it was it was uh, it was uh, a long, long time ago, and uh, and I, uh, I had spotty. Uh, records uh, of, of different songs that never achieved any uh, distinction, and uh, nothing, nothing big. Uh, but it was a lot. That was uh, I was I was probably twenty or twenty-two when uh, when that happened. But it didn't keep it didn't keep me from uh, delivering drugs. I uh, I don't remember. I think I. My first ASCAP check was for eight dollars, hmm. and uh, I joined ASCAP because my father was a member of ASCAP, and, and I used to go to those general membership meetings with him out here. And then later, luckily, I went on the board myself on the ASCAP board. One thing leads to another. I was never interested in uh, the business politics or stuff, but I've I've been uh, fortunate to represent other other writers. And uh, I did so uh, as a member of the Academy, Motion Picture Academy board for a number of years. And uh, I was head of the music branch. So there I was dealing with a whole bunch of talented, very talented and uh, opinionated composers and, and lyricists. Well, on that note, what songwriter that you worked with would you say was the most talented? Well, I couldn't put it that way. Because they're all different talents. Uh, I've worked with Pat Williams, who was brilliant, brilliant orchestrator and brilliant writer. With uh, Johnny Mandel, who was legendary. Uh, he wrote, you know, "The Shadow of Your Smile" and, and many other things. I couldn't, I couldn't say anybody was more brilliant than the rest because they, each of them, had the same kind of commitment that I, that I have, and that made us work together with each other. I never worked with anybody I had any problems with. Do you know something I could amend that? The only time I ever had any problems with anybody 
was somebody who was who was uh, n- not not well known and, and was totally unsure of himself, but didn't have a collaborative frame of mind. The people that I mentioned, the, uh, Johnny Mandel and those people, they would sit down and they would listen to their own music and then listen to what I had put put there as a, as a collaborator. And we would talk about it, not in a critical sense, but in just an analytical sense. And I would talk about their melodies and I would talk about the lyrics and we talk about the song. The song became something we both were stirring in a kettle. And out of it uh, came some nice things. Jerry Fielding was somebody else I worked with a lot. And uh, I've got a whole, I mean, a list of probably 50 writers. For the first 10 or 12 years of my life as a writer, I wrote only, the, I wrote the words of music myself. And um, then uh, I began to get phone calls from other composers and, and, and motion picture producers and television producers asking me if I would write lyrics for other music. And I became, that I was lucky, I was lucky and, and, uh, that I was able to separate my my two talents, and then I could sit down and listen to a Johnny Mandel melody and say, oh yeah, I can go there. I didn't have to, to comment on it, or make suggestions or anything. I, I let them, I let them to be, be responsible for the music, and I was responsible for the words. Do you enjoy the lyric writing more? No, I like uh, if I had a, 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 a choice, I probably would would just write all by myself. But I, I love the, uh, the collaborative feeling as well. I like, I like the company and I like writing with people. So I can't say I like it, I like it less. But I mean, you know, it's, it's in a sense more satisfying to sit down and write something all by yourself. But I don't, I don't, I don't have any ego drive about it. The only thing I have to, uh, Amanda, this is, I have never written music for somebody else's lyric. I'm always in charge of the lyric. Did you ever write with Michelle Legrand? One song, I think, and I can't remember the name of it. I did, some, somebody brought me an idea for a song, and they had started the, the words, and they asked me to collaborate with them, with two, two other guys. And uh, when Michelle was one of them, I wasn't involved personally with Michelle, but it, he had he had laid out the melody. It was a pretty thing. I can't remember the name of it. Was my, I don't. I don't know it was recorded, but I don't know by whom. Would it be possible for you to pick the best interpretation of a song that you wrote? Uh, you know that's 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 it's a it's a very good question, and everything is is so. Subjective, isn't it? You know, like uh, certainly Julie London's record of Crimea River was wonderful in its own way. It was soft and sexy and and all the good things. When I first heard it, I thought that it was too quiet and soft and that it would be overlooked. I was sure surprised by its success and delighted. And then, uh, then that, that song itself has been 
has been recorded by you know, maybe 2,500 uh, people uh, at this moment. And uh, certainly Barbara Streisand's record, she's done it three times or four times for albums. Her, her version is entirely different from Julie's. And uh, all, all of those, all of those, each of those layers has an attitude toward toward singing and toward that particular song different from the others. I wouldn't, I'd never be able to pick the best one. You know, Ella Fitzgerald's record was wonderful. It was, it was just a joy to know that, that, that all those people were involved in the song and, and liked it. It's really incredible when you just look at the list, just, just seeing the list let alone when you start to listen to all the different versions. Exactly. Michael Bublé, Frank Sinatra Jr., yeah. of course, the, the Julie London recording. That song, it just seems to be magical. What do you think it is about the song that so many singers have identified with? It, it, it is, it, is uh, it expresses a feeling that, that most of us feel sometimes in a failed relationship or failed moments of a relationship. And it's funny, you know, there was a song years before I wrote Crime River called uh, I Cried For You. I Cried For You, Now It's Your Turn To Cry Over Me. Do you know, what I'm, do you know that song? I have to admit, I don't know that one. Uh, I don't know who wrote the song, but it was, you know, Tim Pan Alley in the golden days, in the 20s, probably. Uh, uh, late 20s. So the idea has been there. And I cried for you. Now it's your turn to cry for me is, is essentially what Crimea River is. So maybe it's part of the melody. It's part of the, of the, the, the constant repetition of, of the phrase in there. I don't think anybody had ever, as a matter of fact, when I wrote down the title, I looked at it and I said, oh, come on. I, you know, I wrote down Crimea River and I said, wait a minute. It's, people are not going to like that or they're going to laugh at that because it's too much like the Crimea in, uh, in Europe. And so I wrote that down. I kept it on a piece of paper in my desk for a year. But then one day I was at the piano and I was messing around and, and uh, I hit those notes. Now you say you. I remember I wrote the last eight bars first. Now you say you love me. Well, just to prove you do, come on and cry me a river, cry me a river. I cried a river. So when I did that, which was like five minutes, took me to do that, and I said, I got a song here. I have justified. I had justified using that title, and I guess I repeated cry me a river, cry me a river so many times. That I, I I forgot about the Crimea, and it, and it became a thing of itself. So that's the way the song built for me, and then and for other people, they heard that, they heard that, they heard what I did, and it meant something to them. But it means something to us. I mean, uh, I had had sad experiences uh, with in relationships, and it was it was partly that you draw on those, you know, and, and there was the rage and and uh, hysteria that you feel uh, and, and uh, hurt feelings and when you're rejected, uh, when you're, when it doesn't turn out the way you want it. 
So it, that expresses something in a way that it hasn't been expressed before. I don't know why the song didn't just ride for a year and a half and just stay there and disappear. I don't know. Can you tell me? I have no idea. I don't know. There's something magical about the song. I, I kind of agree. I, I don't know. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice to be able to do that every time you sit down to the out? What is the greatest compliment that you've gotten as a songwriter? Uh, somebody showed me a telegram that, uh, that the singer had received from Alec Wilder, a wonderful writer. And he had heard an album that the, the girl had recorded and, and, uh, he sent her a wire and he just said, Arthur Hamilton writes songs the way they should be written. And it was wonderful. I, I saved up that telegram. That's really, that's really well put, you know, <laughs> gets to the point. Well, it was wonderful coming from him. Uh, he wrote words of music and, and lots of music. He was just a very talented guy. I never met him except through music, you know, in this way. But how nice that was. Other, other people have said nice things to me about my work and, and uh, it's, it's a, it's a joy to be respected by people you respect. How does it feel when you know that a song that you wrote has become a standard. Well, but it, it feels, uh, I think, uh, uh, surprising. You look back and say, "Did I do that?" You know, we're not in charge of uh, of the history of a song. Once it's written, it either it either achieves flight or it doesn't. Some of them have a very short flight, and uh, they disappear. And, you know, there's all, in, a, in a music business, you, there's always a lot of people to blame. You can say, well, the, the arranger screwed up behind the singer. They blocked out too many of the words, and you couldn't hear the guitar was too loud, the trumpet section, all of them. But there are wonderful arrangements that, of songs, and, and, and those don't, don't live either. So that's that's a conundrum I, I I would never be able to to pin down. All I know is I re, I reduce it to when I sit down to write something I don't think about any of the songs at all. I don't think about anything except the phrase I use when I'm writing something is I is I have to go there. I have to go. I have to be on the voice of the person who's having the problem and. Uh, I'm expressing that that kind of of uh, feeling. It's not Arthur Hamilton saying this. It's the, the character f- f- uh, for whom I'm writing, the character of the song. I wanted to also ask you about one of your songs. I hope you can tell us about the inspiration behind "Kiss a Rainbow." Oh, sing a rainbow. Sing, sing a rainbow. I meant sing a rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I was thinking of that when you talked about about the, the previous question. Sing Rainbow has an interesting uh, history in that I had been familiar with Peggy Lee, been a great admirer of hers and knew her. And she recorded a song of mine called Bouquet of Blues, and, uh, and we were friends. Uh, and she went up to 
open at a, a club in, in Las Vegas. And I wanted to send her a telegram. I couldn't get there. And I just wanted to send her a telegram about, what do you say to Peggy Lee, who was a big star, and she's opening at the Sands, I guess, Sands Hotel in, in Vegas. And I was taking a shower, and I suddenly thought of what I should say. I turned off the shower, right around, sent the telegram. The telegram was, sing a rainbow. And she called me at four o'clock in the morning and she said, Oh my God, I got that wonderful wire. It's a rainbow and it's just, ah, oh, is it great? So I said, Well, you know, it, 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 consider it yours. Uh, who, who, which of us is going to write that song? You know, or maybe we can do it together. She said, Oh, no, no, no. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. Nothing happened for a year, but she was, she was hired by Jack Webb to, to be in the film Pete Kelly's Blues. And Jack asked me to write. I had written uh, He Needs Me for, for Peggy to sing in that film of Ballon. And Jack called one and said, we need it. It's a song that she sings in a sanitarium. She's a, a drinker and a singer, but, a, but a falling out bad times. And so write something that she's singing. She's holding a doll in her arms, and she's like she's cradling it as if it's her own baby. And uh, so I sat down and I wrote four or five songs and I wasn't happy with them. And all of a sudden I remembered that wire I had sent Peggy. And I said, gee. So I thought what what a rainbow would be nice. So I started red and yellow and pink and green, purple and orange and blue. I can sing a rainbow, sing a rainbow, sing a rainbow too. So I wrote that song. And uh, it was it was so simple I, I was almost embarrassed to show it to Jack when I played it for him and he said that's it I said fine so then I was I had a cold <laughs> the day that they played the song for Peggy and Jack was in the room and Peggy and Ray Heindorf the arranger of the music for the film and Jack called me that night he said the most amazing thing he said she, 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 she cried she started to cry while she was listening to that song. I said, well, that's nice. And I, I never told him that that was why. Probably that she connected that with the telegram I had sent her. And uh, so she, at the cast party, when the film was finished, she gave me a, I think a cigarette box or something like that. And on the top of it, said, no, she gave me a wallet. And the wallet had a little note in there that said, thanks, a rainbow. Hmm. That's the whole story. <laughs> That's great. I know there's someone listening to this who has been trying their to get their songs recorded, or maybe someone who has been pursuing another profession and they're just discouraged. They've been trying so hard. Mm. What would you say to that person out there that's been at it for years and they're not giving up? Well, what they're doing is absolutely the right thing. The thing they have to do is don't count the time that's passing. It's nothing. It's, it's, it's put your head down and, and write and write and write and write. That's all I do. I don't know any of that. I don't, I mean, I mean, I don't even know what my batting average is, but I'm sure it's pretty low as far as, as, uh, successes of, of each individual song. I'm probably right. 50, 100 songs a year. 
and I don't know whether I, I don't even, I don't, I don't pay any attention to whether I, I made it, I made a thousand dollars from this song and three thousand from that or nothing from that song. And some of the songs that earn nothing, I like the most. It's, it is, that's, 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 because once you, once you have a, a song done, uh, I mean, when you, you finish the song, then it's suddenly in other people's hands. So the arranger, the performer, the, you know, the singer, and, uh, and, and a song can be either made or spoiled by so many other hands. And that's, that's, that's one of the things that, like Quincy Jones is wonderful doing what he does. His brilliance is, is in the, in the, in the control room. He knows when the song is done, when it's finished, and when it's been recorded. It's in there in the studio, and he is he, that, that is his, I think, his greatest asset. That's uh, wonderful to know that. I'm not of a producer mind. I've never, I've never even wanted to to produce somebody else singing. But that's that, that's why I'm saying it's so it's so easy for a writer to to say, look, I don't do anything but write. I'm writing. Now, don't bother me. I got an idea for a song. I got to put it aside, look at it, make go try to record it, try to get it recorded, do a demo of it, do a tape of it, do something with it, and then play it for somebody else. And then if if that other person gets goosebumps or whatever it is, goosebumps. Or, or, or is it enthusiastic about it? Fine. If they're not, and you still believe in the song, those people are wrong. You're right. Hmm. Uh, I still, I still believe in songs that I, that people have said, I don't, I don't, I don't, I just don't hear the song. Then I just take up, just take the song up and put it back in my pocket and say, no problem. Uh, thank you very much. And luckily, sometimes I've, I've taken that song a week later to somebody else and they said, oh, I'm so glad you came in. I'm, I'm, we're we're, we're going to do this song day after tomorrow. You never know. But your desire, your 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 thrust, is is not to be uh, critical of the success of a song, of of the path it takes. It's 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 what you do is it's involved with you and the song itself. Just. Make those words and that music the best they can be to say the message that you want to say in whatever way you choose to say it. And uh, if if you, uh, the way I judge it is there's a feeling of completion. When, when I'm working on a song, whether I'm writing with somebody else or alone, I know when that song is done, at least it's done as far as I'm concerned, it's finished. It's uh, the expression is, is, is has been made, and uh, I've made I've done it as clearly as possible, and it's and it's right, and then I'm able to put it aside. If I don't have that feeling, I don't put the song aside. I work on it and work on it until it's done. But I'm 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 pretty organized as far as I. My thoughts are concerned, and I am able to to complete songs enough so that I can keep the train going. Is there a song that you can name of yours that you feel has been a gr- was a great song that that just didn't? I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Like there, it, oh, was, it didn't it didn't make a uh, yeah yeah. Oh sure, there's a song. Uh, 
that I had that it just had it's been recorded maybe seven or eight times, and it's I think it says exactly what I needed to say, and it's a song called Rain Sometimes. Uh, it's been recorded by Peggy Lee, Matt Monroe, and a bunch of other people, and but it's never had that magical rendition that uh, that made it into a standard or anything like that. But it's really it's it expresses. It expresses the dilemma, both the good and bad, of a, of a personal relationship. And it, it's like, I don't know. It, I mean, it's, I remember uh, it's just a brain sometimes, money down the drain sometimes, reason to complain sometimes. That's how it'll be. Like, that's, a, that's, the, that's the first eight bars anyway. But it, it's, it, oh yeah, but, but the bridges, but there'll be champagne sometimes, lobster flown from Maine sometimes, we'll ride the gravy train sometimes, just you wait and see. And then it goes back to the original melody, we may be stranded in the rain sometimes, lose more than we gain sometimes. I can't remember the last time. Uh, anyway, uh, but love is not for sometimes. Love is for all times, for all times, for you and me. But that says all you need to know about a relationship, I think. And I didn't need to change any of the words. And the music is fine. And uh, it's it's there, you know. If somebody wants to record the song, and it gets two or three records a year. Because it's it's uh, it's it's done by a lot of fans in in nightclubs. What would you say the importance of love is to your work? Uh, how important the, the 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 fact of love is? Yeah, I mean, uh, oh, I think it's essential. I mean, love love of the work of the, the concentration of it, and also. Love the the I think that probably ninety percent of the songs are about the, the the human condition and and the relationship between people and uh, that's I mean, you look at look at look at all songs you know uh, all songs are ninety probably ninety percent of songs are all about human relationships and that's so that's very important. Love is makes it all happen. If you had to describe your life, the life of Arthur Hamilton, how would you do that? What would you say? <laughs> what, what would I say? Well, it's 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 a work in progress. I'm still doing my best. I'm I'm working on a musical with the wonderful songwriter Charlie Fox, you know, who wrote "Killing Me Softly" and many other things. And we're doing it for them, trying to write a Broadway show. And that's, that's work that I love because you're not, you're not writing for a group of people hoping that you're going to, going to make a hit record. You're just writing songs for the stage and, and songs for an audience. So it's a little bit different and it's a wonderful challenge. My last question. Who is Arthur Hamilton? That's a nice question. I like that question. Thank you. Uh, 
Well, I'm still finding out. I'm still finding out. I'm still looking for Arthur Hamilton. I've got, I've started on that road, and I'm going to stay on that road. But I'm, I'm um, a person who is committed to what he does and enjoying every minute of it. Even the, even, even the down times, because writing saves me from any kind of other pain. So I, I, uh, I really hide there, and I love it. Mr. Hamilton, I thank you very much for your time and for sharing with us. <laughs> sure. My pleasure. It was great talking with you, and I thank you for spending the time to ask me. Thank you. I look forward to talking again. Yeah, I hope so. Good. Thank you for uh, for putting up with my persistence. <laughs> no, not at all. No, that's, that's lovely. I'd love it. Yeah, and I hope we talk in the future. Indeed. Well, have a good day, sir. Thank you so much. All right. Hope our paths cross again. Talk to you later. Okay, you betcha. Thank you. I enjoyed it. All right. Goodbye.